Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSB Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good afternoon. We are twins here, Danny and David. We're so grateful to have you guys on board today. We have a special, special, special presentation today. We have another set of twins on with us, and we're so excited to be able to bring before you guys two sets of twins, Danny, David, and also the Merrill brothers, who have an excellent background, exciting background, who I believe can help you, our audience, understand what it was like growing up as twins, competing as twins, but at the same time, excelling in the business world. Not only that, one of our special twins was actually did a presentation on the TED Talk. So if you want to learn a little bit more, stay tuned, listen in, and we look so forward to having you guys on board today. Dave? Well, I do want to thank Mike and Steve for joining us on the Twins Talk It Up podcast. We are thrilled to be able to have you guys on today. Uh, thank you for joining us. So as you guys know, the focus of this podcast is pretty much on leadership and on communication topics for professionals out there who are striving to increase their influence and to make a greater impact in this world. And so we're really thrilled to be able to have these guys on with us today. Let me first of all, just ask them to go ahead and introduce themselves. Tell us a little bit about who they are and we'll, we'll, we'll avoid for now who's the more handsome, better speaker, more competitive, et cetera. But guys, tell us a little bit about who you are. Who are the Merrill brothers? I'll let my uh, five minute older brother start. <laughs> As always, he defers to wisdom. Uh, I'm Steve Merrill. I uh, just moved to Dallas a couple months ago to be closer to my brother and, and, and my daughter who just moved here from Boston. Um, I've been in sales probably 20 something years now. I'm a reformed accountant. Spent the first 10 years of my career counting numbers, which makes me really good at Excel and Google Sheets. Um, love sales, love everything about it. And, uh, you know, now I'm 15 minutes from my brother again. We've lived together, lived near each other before, but it's been quite a few years. So uh, we're very close. We can talk about that relationship and we are very competitive, but at the same time, we push each other and hold each other accountable to doing the right thing. So it's all good. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. Uh, yeah, I've been in, I've been in Dallas now since 2006. Uh, I was in Austin and in California, moved around a little bit with my career. Um, I'm also in, in sales for Amazon Web Services. I've been here about a month, was at Salesforce about five years before that. I'm finally at the point where I have more experience in sales than I did in marketing. I was a marketer for a long time. Um, you know, really enjoy the sales aspect and getting in front of customers. And we'll talk through that today. But uh, Steve and I definitely challenge each other, talk through deal scenarios, deal structures, how to pursue um, and get, a, you know, we talk to each other multiple times a day. So we end up being each other's own sales coach. Love it. <laughs> Love it. I think that's so fantastic. We're going to talk, we're going to touch on that in a little bit, guys. 
let me ask this question because you both are in the same city now and it's incredible to see how you keep being drawn together. And would you let us know, or at least the audience know, outside of growing up together, it seems like you both spent some time together in the same college, same university, and you also worked at the same company at one time. What was that like? <laughs> well, I, I will tell you, it's we've worked at the same company more than once. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we uh, both worked at Dell for a few years, and ironically, by just pure chance, ended up in the same division, and by even more chance, our cubes got stationed beside each other in the same campus building in Round Rock. So uh, that was funny. Uh, he was a, a software and peripheral sales leader and I was a services sales leader. And uh, yeah, we sat right beside each other in the high ed division. So that was very interesting. But yeah, I, was, I spent a lot of time after Dell in the startup world. You know, I work for a big company. I'm like, no more. I'm going to, I'm going to just be a startup guy. I just work in startups and went through four to five of them. And then through Mike's career and me convinced him to get out of marketing and into sales, he got into sales at Salesforce and kept trying to get me out of the startup world and got me over to Salesforce. And we run the same team for what, three years, Mike, for the same boss. You know, we, we, we worked in the same Texas region you know, kind of got branded Merrill Force, if you will. And uh, Love it. we we've had we had a great time at Salesforce. So it was interesting. I was I was in a specialist sales role for the last few years. And then Mike decided to leave Salesforce and I stepped in and took his job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, if I, he got he got a little luck in there after I left. I don't, I don't regret leaving, but he did definitely had some luck come into those accounts that he inherited from me. I say it's because of how I set them up for him, but whichever. Um, I think one wait, of the- wait, wait, What did you say this morning? Luck is when opportunity meets perseverance and skill. What was yeah, that? I mean, you know, that was the Greek philosopher Seneca who said I that. I thought it was Roman philosopher. <laughs> Roman philosopher, Roman Greek, whatever. <laughs> Mythology. No, I think, you know, we, Steve, so I was a marketer for a long time. You know, I did my MBA at Michigan, did a couple of startups in marketing, got my exposure to uh, sales there. Um, and then when I joined Dell, I was, I was running uh, brand marketing for uh, our software and peripherals division. I launched a product called the Dell Intelligent Classroom, which led me getting a lot more sales and customer exposure. Um, and, public, and public speaking. And public speaking, I was going to talk through that as well when we talk about the speaking piece, but that led to me running marketing for higher education. I parlayed kind of that experience into a sales role. Steve kept hammering me, look, you've got the skill set. Um, and, you know, I loved the marketing side. I loved the creativity of it. I loved being able to come up with campaigns and seeing the results. And it was through that public speaking that made me realize that hey, this could be translated into a sales career. And, you know, I'll tell you, the first year in sales, I made so much more money. Wow. And I, I just didn't even, you know, Steve kept telling me how much he was making. I just didn't really believe it. And that was- It's, it's not a, just about the money. It's not just about- Not the just money. about the money, but it, um, you know, it, it tra you know, the ability to run your own business was exciting. And uh, that's kind of how I got my first taste in sales at Dell. So I've done sales and marketing kind of went back and forth. And I think my career will probably end in sales. 
That's phenomenal. I, I, I really love how you guys have just one way or the other, you always had a way to get back together and to work together. And Mikey said it best. Hey, I set up the accounts just so you can have success, right? So all good salespeople. Uh, let, let's, be clear. Let's, let's be clear. My first year at Salesforce, I had one account for the first 12 months and then Mike had it for three years and then he left and now I have it. So let's be clear. I laid that foundation. I there laid the foundation. That's exactly. It's always awesome a competition. It's always <laughs> right. So I'm glad you brought that up because this leads us to our next question. So I can see, I can see the way you guys work together now. I can see the competitiveness, and I can also see how you guys build each other up. So take us back when you were when you were younger, you were children. You, you said you had an older brother, but you you guys were the twins. What kind of mess or good or whatever did you guys get into as, when you were younger? And what was that like? Because it seems to me, as an adult today, I can see how you guys love working together. How you guys love trying to get one up over the other as well, because it's just really fun and exciting. Was it the same thing when you guys were children? Tell us a little bit more about that. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women's. Are you a business owner looking for change? You've tried new marketing plans. You've updated your website, but you're stuck and can't move forward. I've got something different. How about a mastermind group, a forum in which you can exchange ideas and be held accountable for your actions over 30 days? Our next group begins December 5th. Check out Accept You, the letter U, coaching.com. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Well, we, I mean, we grew up in the middle of nowhere, kind of like 12 miles from town in a little town called Chaparral, New Mexico, and the nearest neighbor or kid our age is probably a mile or two away. Wow. So Mike and I, I mean, no joke, my dad said, go play in the traffic. And we're like, what traffic? <laughs> like he, just, he just wanted us out of the house. So there was a lot of times it was us entertaining each other. Sometimes it was fighting, but sometimes it was just making up stuff to do in the middle of the dirt. You know, it's like, I mean, we, we entertained each other a lot and we still do today. So we make each other laugh a lot. We can sit outside. Like he, we sit on his front porch and just sit out there and listen to music and talk and we crack each other up for hours. Our wives are like, what are you guys talking about? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> I got Seinfeld episode. Yeah, we, you know, it's funny. We, um, we definitely had to entertain each other growing up. Uh, we used to dig forts in the ground mm-hmm. and then we had to cover them up. And like six months later, we dig the same fort in the ground again just for something to do. That's amazing. I think. Um, I mean, you you get you get all the fun twin stuff. You know, growing up as a twin, I'm like, you know, do you finish each other's sandwiches? sandwiches? <laughs> <laughs> he was 
a little slow on the take there, but you know, it's like, do you guys have ESP? Do you know what each other's thinking? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, hey, when yeah. somebody hits you, does he feel it? I'm like, no, this isn't the Corsican Brothers. I mean, I know the TV show or movie or whatever. <laughs> but we do, we do constantly when we're together in groups. We'll say the exact same thing, and it'd be like, we look at each other like, how is it possible? I love it. I love it, guys. That's so funny. I, I, I think that it's great to be able to see the chemistry that you guys have and people ask these questions and it gets sometimes annoying and i realized that it's a it's a blessing because they don't quite know how awesome it is to be a twin and the uniqueness that 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 it is that i have someone that's just like me but yet we're so different and i think that's what's amazing about it so in in a sense i have to ask you guys what type of pressure did you feel when you were growing up to be twins, now adults in the sales world, in the business world, did you feel any weird pressure because you guys were twins, any different than let's say perhaps a counterpart or a colleague that wasn't? I, you know, I, I think back to growing up. I mean, we did all, you know, just like any other twins, we were, we were forced to dress alike when we were really young, you know, cause it was cute, great for pictures. <laughs> Our styles definitely grew apart. I tended to be a little bit more radical in high school. And um, he, was, he was the guy with the mohawk and the earrings and, you know, dyeing his hair. I, I tried to be a little bit more conservative. Yeah. But we did both have, para we both had parachute pants. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back the 80s. <laughs> oh, I love uh, it. I love it. I love it. I, love it. I think... Um, you know, growing up the way we did, you know, our dad was in the mil retired from the military. He started a commercial pig farm when we were young. And so by the age of seven, we were working eight to 10 hour days. And at that age, the one thing we could do was really, you know, the manual labor that didn't really require any skill set. And it was shoveling manure. Um, so we used to entertain each other doing that in the middle of summer, 100 degrees out. But, it, you know, that experience taught us really the value of hard work and we learned to depend on each other and, um, you know, and be reliable and, you know, the value of hard work in terms of accomplishing something. And you, in your work relationships, you want someone that's that as dependable as that nice. and as reliable, you know, so it, it can be challenging because, you know, we're both very ambitious. And that ambition sometimes, you know, you don't see that in every employee you work with. So your expectations tend to be unrealistic that everyone is as ambitious as you are. So you have to temper that a little bit in the work environment, understand. And I also think it's situational, Yeah. right? We go through periods in our life where we're extremely ambitious, really focused, but we have something going on in our life that kind of changes that focus and ambition, whether it's you know, you're getting married, having a child, you got something serious going on at home, it can impact that. And we just got to recognize that. And it's, it's definitely a struggle for me because I have very high expectations of everyone I work with that this is the most important thing we're working on. And I expect your immediate attention. And you just have to manage through that as a professional. Well, that makes, that makes a lot of sense now to, to see that your work ethic was actually ingrained in you as you guys were younger. And you, you actually had a task to do, a difficult task for, for young, two young kids. But at the same time, you found ways to make it fun and enjoyable. And as you say, even to this day, Mike, you're, you're talking about uh, the way you conduct yourself in business today and the way you expect your peers around you to act as well 
is that, hey, we have a task to do, let's get it done. But I can see at the same time, you, you still can make light and fun during difficult tasks and then complete those tasks. So that, that just really uh, astounds me how you took something from a, such a young age and it kind of molded and developed you as you grew a little bit older. So I found that very phenomenal. Um, yeah, you know, I think that having a very strong bias for action is important in the business world. But you also have to balance that with EQ, emotional intelligence, yep. to know how to get the most out of people, right? And understand what's important to them because sometimes what's important to them, you know, I'll find out I work with people that their role is not to be promoted in the functional role. They want to go into marketing. Right. So the way they behave, well, how can I help that person achieve their goal? We work together in the short term while they're trying to achieve their next goal. Makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let me ask you guys this. This is David, by the way. I know we've been going through this podcast and those who are listening may not know who is actually speaking. So <laughs> typically when Dan and I are doing this podcast, I'll try to say his name or he'll try to say mine. So I, I want to try to somehow put that in there so people know which Merrill brother is speaking. Um, because you guys are so competitive, they'll think you're just the same person talking, right? So let me ask this question, guys. When we think about being twins, how did you both end up going to school together and then going to these same companies together? And then at least most recently, you're both at Salesforce together. Was it just this thing that you guys could not just separate from each other? And here you guys are now back together in a sense again. Why, if you don't mind, did that happen? I, so I think the, the college thing, you know, it's, a, it's pretty easy to end up at the same uh, college when you don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the school in New Mexico. Okay, gotcha. You know, we, were, we went to college about an hour away from where we grew up. We both had aspirations to leave the state and go elsewhere. Um, if we wanted to do that, we paid for it ourselves. If we want any financial support, you know, our dad was running the farm. So if we want any financial support, the requirement was we had to come home on weekends and summers and work on the farm an hour away. And that was a struggle, I'll tell you. So that's how we ended up in college. We ended up, you know, never had any intentions of joining a fraternity. And I think out of sheer boredom, the first month after college started, we ended up joining a fraternity. And we both participated in that. We both had different leadership roles. Steve ended up being the president of the fraternity at one point. I think some of our earliest leadership roles were in the fraternity. And then I remember keenly in my, uh, my junior year getting involved in the leadership of the business student council. And that led to kind of the school-wide student council. That's kind of how it started was, you know, we, we both ended up having to go to the same university as a function of necessity. Mm. You know, career-wise, we both did radically different things. We both had the same undergrad. We both had a finance degree. <laughs> That's another story we didn't tell Steve was about Shell Oil. So here's a funny story. Okay. So both both did really well in, in school, uh, both very close to 4.0s in our, in our uh, degrees. Steve graduated a semester before me because I took a semester off and did an uh, internship at IBM in Connecticut. And we ended up sometime in 2000, three interviewing February, February 2003 uh, interviewing for the same exact role which was a financial analyst role at Shell oh go get this same day on the same day oh my God. same time slot and we rode the elevator up and we rode the elevator down <laughs> um, you talk about being competitive you know Steve ended up securing that job I was extremely frustrated about it you know 
I think things happen for a reason that ultimately led me to Intel where I got into production management. So, you know, we, we took different paths early on and ultimately ended up in sales. I think the, the company thing, the reason we ended up at the same company is some of it's coincidental. The other is really by design. And, you know, I recruited Steve to Salesforce. Steve recruited me to Dell. I was at a startup when I moved from uh, the Silicon Valley back to, to Austin to be closer to Steve. We and both, he, lived, he lived with me for six months with two kids. That was fun. Uh, it was my, only my, months. My wife loved that, by the way. And so I was going from one startup to another startup. Wasn't ready to pull the trigger on a house. And so we ended up buying a house, coincidentally, a block away, which is great for poker nights. So I, the startup I was at ended up laying off all the sales and marketing people in late 2002. Literally, I had started there three months ago. And then I ended up at Dell in a marketing role in education and, and healthcare. So I spent five years at Dell uh, and then went to NetApp for a small period of time. But that's kind of how we got into Dell. Steve kept pushing me to get into to Dell, get into a bigger company because I had done a couple startups that had struggled in the early 2000s. Steve went through his phase after he left Dell, where he did several startups and you know, those startups weren't all successful. And I said, come to, come to Salesforce, come back to a big company. And I recruited him, referred him, got the referral fee. Nice. Um, so, which was great. And um, he was on a different team for a while. And then ultimately we ended up on the exact same team, which is great, very competitive. So, and we both sold the marketing stack for a long time. And we built a lot of domain, you know, I had the marketing background, but we built a lot of domain expertise on the marketing stack at Salesforce. That's wonderful, guys. And I'll tell you, I love the way that you've been drawn together. You get the best out of each other. You bring the best out of each other. You, you mentioned something earlier, Mike, and you said something about how your brother Steve is like your coach. You know, you're, you're pushing each other. You're helping each other think through the deals you're working on, you're helping each other to understand how to look at the opportunity that's there. Can you explain what that's like in the sales world with the team that maybe you manage and really how we can learn? Because so much of our business culture is about self, 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 and not the team. How did you guys learn to merge that together when you're really helping people to understand it's about the team as much as it is about the individual? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, one of the appeals of being, you know, an enterprise software rep is you're basically running your own business, right? You have a territory assigned to you. You have a, a goal you've been asked to set. And a lot of your, you know, there's a lot of no's in our business, like any sales role. You know, I'm in a newer role now where I'm prospecting probably 95 to 90% of the time because I'm focused on greenfield net new customers. You know, so that can be psychologically challenging. You know, once you get enough experience, you realize it's just a matter of time. You're going to get the right message to the right person on the right day, and you're going to secure a meeting. And I think that a lot of people hate that role of sales. You know, to me, the biggest success is getting that first meeting. Like that, that preparation of getting that first meeting, then once you get the first meeting, how do I be prepared for that first discussion to get the outcome I want? Which in most cases, the outcome I want from the first meeting is the second meeting, right? That's really what the outcome is, is qualify the opportunity and get the second meeting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of focus on 
that piece. And so when Steve and I have a good or a bad day, we tend to call each other, kind of complain, kind of talk about the wins of the day. Like if I get a meeting, I text him. If he gets a meeting, he texts me or we close a deal. And we all know when our, when our quarter's in. So we're all, we're both aligned to that. So we tend to coach each other. And, you know, I think the most important part of a sales manager is thinking through, you know, how to, how to keep a sales rep positive, yeah. right? Things, especially when you think about the large transactions, you know, we're both doing large seven figure transactions. Those can take 12 to 18 months, right? And they're a long drawn out evaluation. You have to focus on the small wins. You have to focus on what's my overall strategy. What are the key next steps? And, you know, your manager and, you know, Steve is, is kind of the, the coach here in this environment is focused on, Hey, think about the things that are successful, right? Try to try to be more positive because they're, they're, there are a lot of challenges in the sales role and it's not for everyone, right? Some people can't handle that level of rejection. And then when you do close that big deal, it, it made it all worth it, yep. right? And that it's just a long, it can be a long period of time. I appreciate that. What about your perspective, Steve, on that? And, and thank you for sharing that, Mike. I love that aspect of celebrating the small wins, keeping the right perspective, looking at key objectives, et cetera. But uh, Steve, what are some of your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I've managed sales and been in sales in multiple roles and I love it. I mean, I love everything about it. I think, you know, I, as I coach new people that are willing to listen and when I had reps underneath me, it's, it's all about understanding the process, right? It's, it's going to be hard the first year, the first 12 months of any sales role. It takes you six months or 12 months just to learn what you're selling. What is it? What is my unique selling position? What am I, what is the business case? Why would a customer want to buy what I'm proposing? Uh, so it's being prepared and being confident and understanding that, you know, that you've got to be enthusiastic about what you're talking about. You got, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I go, Hey, if you're, if you're not sold on what you're selling, you will not be successful. Yeah. It is un, your unconscious bias comes across to a customer. You got to be excited, enthusiastic about what you're doing and what you're selling or your value proposition. It, if you don't believe it, it comes across subconsciously to your customer. So you got to be passionate, but not in a salesy, cheesy way, in a conversational way. What I see most often is people are like, I got to read from this script. They go, no, people don't want to be read from a script. They want you to have a conversation with them. Hey, here's what's worked for some of my other customers. I'm not sure it's right for you. Um, I think I understand your business a little bit. I've been doing the retail vertical for about seven years with some of the biggest retailers in America. I can tell you what they've gone through. I don't think you're that different, but hey, here's what I propose. So it's really about to build confidence. I mean, it's two things. One, it's doing it a lot of times, but two, it's being prepared. If you're prepared and you know what, you know, you're not going to be a hundred percent prepared ever, but you that builds confidence and going in saying, here's what I want to accomplish. I want to have a conversation with this person. I'm not trying to sell them. I'm having a conversation. I'm educating them. I can lead a horse to water. It's not going to make them drink. I got a lot of non-customers, right? You can be the next non-customer, but I'm just going to say, here's why everybody else is doing what I'm showing you today. You've got to make the decision. If you come into every meeting thinking, I'm not trying to sell you, of course, subconsciously you want to sell. But it's about like, hey, 
I know I'm doing the right thing. I've done it before. I'm confident in what I'm doing. And I can educate you in a way that doesn't sound salesy. That comes across and customers like, well, why aren't you pushing me to buy? I'm like, hey, I'm just educating you. It's your decision. Like they hate it. Like, well, you're very consultative. Why aren't you trying to get me to buy this? I go, because I'm a professional. I'm doing this as a career. I'm not going to leave tomorrow. You're going to be my account potentially in the next 12 to 18 months. I want to sell you something next year. So if I try to sell you something now that doesn't work, it's no good for me. I, I, I want you to be my partner for the next two, three, five years. I've got to make you successful. So I'm not going to jam something down your throat that you don't need or don't want. So I think it's, it's really, you know, about that. So I was talking a little bit about sales because I love sales. Like when I first got into sales, I was, uh, I was kind of, I kind of just stepped into sales. I was a, a, I was an accountant and somebody's like, Hey, come get in this it project to implement a new financial system. So I spent several years going across the country with Honeywell implement Oracle financials. Mm. And then I got this job at, at security capital group, which is now part of GE implementing PeopleSoft financials. So I was implementing financial systems and I, I was project managing these large complex projects. You know, I had consultants and employees. So I was managing these large multi-million dollar projects. And then, you know, the big consultancies came calling and I got into managing those projects as a consultant. And then this partner asked me to come on this business development call and I got a little taste of sales. And I was like, hey, I want to do that part. That part sounds fun. <laughs> so I sell this project goes, oh no, you're in Richmond, Virginia for a year delivering what you just sold. I go, hmm. So <laughs> I got a little taste of business development and like how using credibility and skill sets and your knowledge to like educate someone and say, just give them the facts and just say, hey, I, I will make this right for your business and I'll own this. It's not a quick, I'm going to be sell it and be done. And I'm going to be there to own this after the sale. That's, that's part of that. And so I, I kind of moved along and, you know, part of that journey was working for a company called uh, Corporate Executive Board selling uh, professional services. And I actually worked with some of the team that wrote the book, The Challenger Sale, which I'm glad. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you guys have... I've heard of the challenger sales. So, I mean, I learned early on, it's like, you don't need to sell people. You just need to challenge people. Like, oh yeah, we're definitely going to get to that next year. I go, really? Like you got to challenge people and say, you know, there was a deal I had um, with a, a big, a big brand. And uh, we were two years into a sales cycle. Like I was like, the guy's like, okay, I'm really serious. Now we're going to do something. And I literally said to the guy, I go, you could have thrown a dart six months ago between us and that other vendor and your business would be in a better spot. What am I to believe you're actually going to do something now? He was taken aback. I was like, I'm just like, Victor, I'm like, I've literally talked to you for two years about this project. Why would I believe anything's going to happen now? You keep saying you want to improve your business. You've done nothing. Mm -hmm. He like, he was taken aback. And then like a week later, he's like, if you still want to work with me, we might be ready to do something. <laughs> he, was, he was like so shocked. I'm like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have waited two years to finally have a really frank discussion. But I had earned it. We were texting. I was like, we'd earned up this relationship. And I finally just said, I go, you literally could have thrown a dart. Your business would have been a better spot right now. Why is it going to happen now? And it's it just like the pushing and you're finally calling someone out versus just always being a yes man and saying what they want you to hear. You gotta challenge people. Yeah, that, that comes with confidence. Is just say, "Hey, I know my stuff is good. 
I know my stuff works. I've seen that success. And you just got to push back. I think Steve makes a good point. A lot of it has to do with trust. How do you build trust in a relationship? Mm. You know, IT professionals and business line of business owners and execs, they hate salespeople. I've even been in a meeting where I got yelled at by a CMO because she hated salespeople so much. The company we acquired at Salesforce bought another company and we end of life that product, which was having a meaningful impact on their business. We had a comparable product, but I literally got yelled at um, and we did not have a relationship with them, right? We had, to, we had built no trust. So I didn't have a lot of places to go from there. So we had to build ourselves back up in that company. But I think building trust with a lot of give to get early on in a relationship um, is, is critical. And once you build that trust, because, you know, Steve and I talk about these large deal cycles or long deal cycles, you know, I, one of the biggest deals I did took 18 months, but I've also done multi-million dollar deals in three months, which no one believed were real because it only took three months. Mm. But once you've developed that trust and you have that relationship, you've done that first transaction, it's had an impact on their business. That's where you can leverage that trust to really help in meeting your business goals. So it could be pulling in a specific project or opportunity early so that you can hit your quarterly goal. The customer still wants to do the project. So you lean on them, hey, instead of waiting till the end of May, could you possibly do this at the end of April? Sometimes you have to offer an incentive to get that done, but we all have quarterly numbers we need to hit. So building that trust goes a long way. And you know the big thing, especially when we were at Salesforce, you know, those folks moved around and that they would go to another company. Like I've had times where they immediately called me as soon as they landed. It's like, hey, can you get assigned to my account? I want to work with you. As you know, that's pretty hard to do in a large company to move accounts. But it's, you know, those are the ones that'll be a reference for you if you need them, right? And you don't have the world a- is, The world is too small. You, yeah. you have to think that every single business person you deal with could be at the next account you have. And if you treat every transaction like that, it'll pay off and pay. I can't tell you in the five years I've been here, like how many times somebody I've worked with in year one has moved to a different place in year two. And then in year four, they're the third place. And they're calling me asking for help. So your brand is everything. Mm. I also think a key part of that trust thing is being responsive. And I've heard this from customers a lot. Yeah. It's very rare I won't respond to a customer the same day, if not within the same hour, unless I'm tied up in a meeting. And I've heard from customers like, you're so unlike any other vendors, it takes them three to five days to get back to me. And being responsive oftentimes, because they trust the relationship and you may have, you may not have the best product or you may be more expensive because they rely on you and they know you'll be responsive and get them the support they need. They want to do business with you. At the end of the day, I hate to say it, because it's overused, people don't buy products from companies, they buy them from people, yep. right? If they yeah, know you're gonna be there, that's why account transitions are so horrible for us as sales reps, right? When we lose an account and the customer gets upset, they feel like they're breaking up with someone that they've had this long-standing relationship with. So you kind of have to sell, well, you know, we're it's, it's actually good for you because we're each gonna have fewer accounts, you're gonna get more attention. Right. So in that case, you can sell the value of it. But in some cases, right, a new person's being brought in because you're being moved to a bigger account right. to do something and turn that business around. We'll be right back after this short break. 
We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Are you a business owner looking for change? You've tried new marketing plans. You've updated your website, but you're stuck and can't move forward. I've got something different. How about a mastermind group, a forum in which you can exchange ideas and be held accountable for your actions over 30 days? Our next group begins December 5th. Check out Accept You, the letter U, coaching.com. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Hey guys, this is Danny. I think uh, <clears throat> what Mike and Steve was saying earlier about that transition when, when uh, Steve came in and took over Mike's accounts, that must have been an easy conversation with the guys. Hey, look, you're going to get my older brother who's better looking, better than everything than <laughs> me. <laughs> two times as many years in sales two times exactly. better experience uh but all, all, all serious i think steve and mike you both brought up some excellent points you you when you sat down with a customer you talked about having a relationship building up the trust you have to be enthusiastic about the product more than anything else otherwise the customer will see that and i think that ties into our next point when it comes to even public speaking we think about our audience first What's important to them? We have to set it up. What is our end goal? Mike, you said sometimes the end goal is just to have another meeting. Steve, you said sometimes my end goal isn't to sell you anything. It's to build that long-term relationship because I'm going to have you for 12 to 18 months. So as we transition to even public speaking, even to the option that you guys had lots of practice, when you have these large corporate accounts, you're actually essentially public speaking right there on the spot with the customer, presenting yourself, building credibility all at once, getting them to do a couple of up and down nods, yeses, yes, yeses, and hopefully at the end, getting them to agree to certain things, either another meeting, another term. Has this all worked out together to help you guys excel in the public speaking world? Because I see that you're both passionate when you speak. I can I see that you're both respectful. Mike's got way more public mm-hmm. speaking experience in general. I'll just, I'll start and then let you tell, let him tell his story. I mean, I, you know, I started out as an accountant, <laughs> like I literally came out of college. I'm like, there's no way I'm in sales. No way. Sales is like, you know, no way I'm ever going to be in sales. And I was an accountant. I'm going to go into numbers. I'm going to go work Wall Street. So when I, I took my first job job out of college, I went to work for Shell Oil <laughs> and um, I, I quickly joined Toastmasters because I was like, oh, I want to learn how to do public speaking. So I was involved early on in Toastmasters. So shout out to Toastmasters for people just trying to learn and get comfortable in a close-knit group of of like-minded people to get comfortable with public speaking because it's terrifying, right, at first. But at the same time, like, I'm an extrovert. Like, I was always comfortable talking to people. Like, it's, it's like early on in high school and college, meeting people, talking to girls, blah, blah, blah. You want to be comfortable. Um, but in the business world, you know, I also took some stand-up comedy classes. I have an aspiration to do stand-up comedy. So I, I wanted to get good at, at talking to people. Uh, you know, if I didn't have to work for a living, I'd go try to be on Saturday Night Live. That's my all-time dream. Um, <laughs> but, 
Mike really took public speaking to another level and got paid. So I'll let you tell, let him tell his story, but I love public. I mean, I love it. I'm not presenting the, the most people I've ever presented to is like a hundred people. Mike's presented to hundreds and thousands, but I'll let him tell you he's, he's got way more experience in this, but I love it. It's, I don't awesome. care what your, what your career is. You've got to get good at it. Because nope. at the same time, public speaking could be you talking to your spouse. I mean, that's public speaking, getting your case across, right? You know, making eye contact. I'm listening to you, blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> you can't win that. You can't win that argument yourself. <laughs> My love language is acts of service. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> My love language is you're right. I'm <laughs> happy wife, happy life, right? Um, you know, it. it's funny, you know, my how I got into speaking uh, is interesting. And I'm going to tell a little bit of background because so I started undergrad um, as a theater major. So I wanted to be an actor. Um, my first two years, I was a theater major, took acting class at New Mexico State. Were you a theater major or were you a thespian? I, I always get <laughs> thespian. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, it wasn't, I didn't want to do Broadway or anything like that. I wanted to move to LA and be an actor so much so I did an exchange program and went to college in LA for a semester, which is a whole nother podcast. Um, but, you know, so that's kind of how I, I did a little, few plays in, in high school, got into acting and, you know, because some of the financial support for tuition was coming from my parents. My parents were adamantly against getting a degree in theater. Um, and so my junior year, you know, I declared finance as my major and kind of went a different way and said, well, let me get a degree and I'll figure this out. That's kind of where kind of the bug was. Um, my first kind of speaking experience came about where I really started to learn and uh, hone the task um, right as I was leaving, I was a production manager for Intel between uh, 94 and 99. Um, and they were going through a transition. I was getting ready to get back to go to grad school. There was a program United Way had where Intel would pay you to be a professional fundraiser for United Way. Very unique program. I, I was extremely young. Typically, it was people that were much higher grade levels of Intel. Um, but, you know, the business I had hired and built up for this factory was moving to Singapore. And I said, hey, instead of taking the package now, I'd like to go do this United Way leadership development program and then take the package before I go to grad school. And so and it was I was terrified. Basically, I was I had a week of training from United Way. There was about 100 of us and all around Phoenix. And I basically went to companies and did the United Way pitch for their United Way days. And most of the time, the audiences were less than 100 people. I think the scariest was, um, and the largest audience I ever spoke to was the Palo Alto nuclear plant, the entire, all of the employees for the nuclear plant in this huge warehouse. Wow. Um, it was the background for one of the Simpsons episodes, was it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Release the hounds. Uh, anyways, um, but Mr. Burns, Mr. Burns. <laughs> so you know, so I and that was interesting because while I'm speaking, people are extremely loud. The employees didn't want to be there, but that through that experience, it gave me the confidence. And you know, one of the things you're trying to do is 
when you're selling a fundraiser running like United Way, you're trying to appeal to two parts of the brain, right? The, the, the fact-based, you know, how does this impact? What percentage of United Way's money goes to the actual charity and the individual? But the other is the emotional piece. And, you know, I internalized in, um, this story about someone who got injured in a car accident. And God, I can't even tell the story because I'll tear up right now. Um, the story, and I had very young girls. My daughter was just about to be born and a guy was in an accident. So I tell this story about how this charity helps people that have gone blind. And you got it, Mike. You got okay, it. Okay, Mike, take your time. Anyways, this guy gets in a car accident on the way. And, you know, I'm telling the story and kind of how I internalize the story. He's on the way. He gets an accident, he loses vision. Turns out he was on the way to the hospital when his daughter was going to be born. So he never got to see his daughter. <sighs> and so because I internalized that story so well, I grew fundraising 40% for the accounts that I was assigned to. And because I, it was so relatable to me, you know, you had these guys in the front row who were all about the facts and figures. And I'd cover that and I'd cover the details and I'd tell that story and, you know, and not, I, I talk about kind of like the first deal I closed. I don't mean that in a, in a crude way. That was where I got the experience of using persuasive words and everything. I remember looking at the first time I really got that story down and telling the story of United Way, seeing people crying in the audience yeah. And I knew kind of I'd made an impact. And that was really kind of what gave me the bug around speaking. Um, and then, you know, I talked about kind of my experience that led to my experience at Dell where I launched a product, you know, my kind of my next big speaking experience at Dell, I launched this product and I started traveling the country and then started speaking to conferences. This is one area when Steve and I were working together and um, Steve got to see that, that talk I did and, you know, that really developed the confidence. And then ultimately, you know, in 2009, I went through a career transition, um, uh, from NetApp and, you know, social media and digital was taken off. And I just ended up being in the right place at the right time where someone needed a speaker for a meetup. And I literally raised my hand and said, I'll gladly talk about that. And it was one of those things where I, I don't know anything about this topic, but I'm a marketer. I'll go figure it out. And that talk ended up being the same talk I gave for the next five years. Nice. Um, and that really got me into paid speaking and ultimately led to the TED talk I did. Um, you know, I think the, the most successful one I did, it was, you know, close to 10K for an hour of my time talking about trends in digital. And, um, you know, I think people are like, oh, why don't you write a book or why don't you start a consulting agency? And I was doing consulting for a while, but without a book as a platform, you really can't get to that five figure plus in speaker fees. Like you really need a book and a platform like a blog. And that just wasn't really something I was interested in doing. So anyways, and that, you know, I don't do a lot of public speaking now other than sales. Not a lot of people want to hire salespeople for public speaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask this, Mike, and thank you for sharing with our audience the importance of internalizing 
what you're going to say, your message, what you believe, how powerful that is. Steve, you alluded to it as well. When you're selling something, you got to believe in what you're selling. You got to believe in it so much that you're sold on that. And it, it kind of burns within you that your clients or prospective clients can't have that. Um, how do you guys look at this skill set? Mike, Steve, you both kind of alluded to it, but how has it impacted you personally in your growth as a leader? I know for some people, they can say, Dave, when I've started working with you on public speaking, I've seen my salary go up through the roof, or I've seen my position change in the company. I've been able to rise up. How has speaking skills increased your, let's say, presence, your influence? How has it changed your career path personally? I think, I think speaking skills is, your, is all about your ability to influence an idea. Right. I mean, I, I, I spend probably 30% of my time speaking to customers and I spend the rest of my time speaking internally, selling the idea of why we need to do this. When you work for a large company with multiple divisions and multiple products, you're, you're working internally to sell how to come across more connected and cohesive to an end customer. So you've got to, like, I, I was just on a call to yesterday with about probably 15 people across different teams. And I'm like, listen, I've been working with this customer for a year. Let me give you the context. And, and it's, it's somewhat like I've been here long enough where I feel confidence and like, this is how we need to come across to the customer next week. And it's like, it's an internal briefing to present, prepare for a presentation. I'm like, I know this customer Here's how we need to come across. And so you need to be, I think it's very organized and you have all your background speaking notes and you're like, you've got to be able to rally the team in a way and it's not do as I say, it's like, this is why this is the right thing to do for the customer. And I tell people all the time, I go, I'm like, guys, I know as companies get bigger and I ran into this in previous life, as companies get bigger, more processes and procedures get put in place. And it's hard to be nimble and quick and uh, flexible. So I constantly coach people internally. I'm like, hey, I know we have lots of processes and lots of teams, but here's how we need to be perceived to the customer. We got to come across as a coordinated unit with a common vision that understands this customer's plan for renewal and what they're trying to accomplish and speak with one voice. And public speaking skills is, is the ability to do that in a way that persuades people. Like I had somebody yesterday, you know, a couple levels up in the side of the organization because I push people very hard. I'm like, we can't wait two weeks to turn this around. I need this back in a week. And she's like, would three days be okay, Steve? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Somebody's like, could somebody record Steve saying that was reasonable? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm literally like, come on guys. I know I'm a hard grader, but I'm trying to push us. I'm trying, I know I'm a hard grader. I'm like constantly pushing my internal organization. I'm like, we gotta, you know, we're a 20 year old company now, but we still gotta act like we're a two year old company. We gotta be hungry. We gotta hustle. You gotta wake up every day and hustle. Because customers want you to be responsive. Because there's all kinds of startups out there that'll the CEO will fly in on a private jet. Well, not today, but you know they'll they'll fly in, and and you know my you know it's hard to get my CEO in a conversation. But we've got to be nimble and aggressive and quick and and be reactive. Because uh, we're now a big company, right? We're now in the Dow. You know, we got to be uh, 
we got to still be hustling every day to make it work for our customers. Yep. Uh, and he makes a good point about, you know, as you get more experience in a big company, the biggest aspect of your success is how you marshal the resources and the funding and the pricing to really have an impact. And that just takes experience. You know, Steve talks about his first year in sales at Salesforce. My first year at Salesforce was a beating, like just learning all the internal processes. And we were going through a big transition. Salesforce had just acquired Exact Target, and I was on the marketing stack, which was Exact Target. I had three managers my first year within four months. And so just a lot of transition going on um, and learning the messaging and learning the prospecting, learning to work with my counterparts that sold different products. Um, so learning how to coordinate that. And um, we're both in roles now where we're what's called the core AE or the principal AE on the count. But, you know, I, if I put up a slide of available resources that I could bring to account, it's probably a hundred people, right? You know, because we have so many products and services and consulting practices and free programs that it, it's our job to help the customer navigate what's possible inside the company. But more importantly, you know, one of our roles, and um, I think back to this large transaction I did in, in 2018, um, you know, our role is to paint the vision of the possible for the customer. They've got to coordinate all these resources internally, right? And I distinctly remember an RFP readback where, right, we had way too much information to share. We need to be far more concise. Um, and so we came up with, because we had, it was a two and a half hour meeting where we were addressing the requirements of the RFI, RFP. And so I'd come up with the idea with my SA or SE and uh, brilliantly, we came up with five themes to help align and, and anchor the conversation. You know, in Toastmasters, they teach you, right? All right, today, here's what we're gonna talk about. You talk about it and then you remind them what you talked about with the call to action. So I had this slide with the five themes that in terms of business outcomes, I then had my solution engineer write those five themes on the board. And as we were talking, we'd go back over to those themes and we'd check off the board. So we talked about this business outcome and I would typically, I would do the same thing. And I'd say, remember I said, we were going to talk about how this drove this specific business outcome. Do you agree this capability drives that outcome? And I would watch for the decision makers to nod. And I did that through all five. And at the end of the presentation, I summarized the five. I was like, and this is why we, Salesforce is the right product for what you're trying to do and why not. And I, you know, just unifying that point of view and that message is so critical. And that takes confidence. That takes speaking skills, right? You have to be extremely confident to command room and to challenge the customer that much you know, I had the CMO in the room, right? And I'm challenging the CMO. I didn't have a strong relationship at the time. And, you know, it ultimately got the deal done, right? It was that presentation that was the turning point. And it was, I got emails from people inside the company. It's like, okay, you clearly position yourself well ahead of the competition here. So, you know, you don't have a lot of moments like that in your career, but you, you think back to what drove that transaction and that outcome uh, for your role. 
That's phenomenal, guys. This is Danny again. And I, I think Steve and Mike brought up some excellent points on how public speaking, specifically the training that they received from Toastmasters creating the framework, has really excel, helped them to excel in their career, whether financially or to be able to close big deals and all that stuff. So before we close it out, I just want to make sure that uh, we give Steve and Mike an opportunity to give an audience, just give us one tip, if you can, to really um, share with the audience on how they can excel in their own career. Because your whole experience and how you grew up working on the farm and developed the characteristics that actually help excel where you are today with your, your personality, going through the college, going through the fraternity, getting the leadership roles. This, this could actually be another two or three podcasts with your experience mm -hmm. and how you can actually help people. But if we had to just give one tip today to really help the audience, uh, what would that be, Steve? And what would that be, Mike? Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> I, I keep forgetting you gave us the tip to, to pronounce announce ourselves before we talk, because Mike and I do sound alike. Uh, this is Steve. Uh, <laughs> hi, I'm Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I go back to figure out, and it took me a while to figure this out, figure it out, what you're good at, what you want to do every day. Um, and it takes a while. Like I got, you know, my, my, my daughter's 25, my son's 22. I'm like, do you know what I was doing at 22? Figuring out what I, I'm, I'm 50. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, but I'm fairly certain I'm going to finish it in sales. Um, and you know, you know, if I'm going to go back into sales management, we'll find out. I like what I'm doing right now, but um, it's, you know, research and trade. You got to read. Like I, I probably early in my sales career, I still read stuff now, but you, you gotta, you've gotta, you know, as Covey used to say, sharpen the saw and you gotta constantly be learning about your craft. Or like, I don't care what anybody says, sales is a profession. It's a little bit of art, but it's a lot of science and you've gotta continue to sharpen your saw and, and early on in your career, understand and be comfortable. And Mike mentioned this early on. If you don't want to prospect, you should not be in sales. <laughs> you have to want and like and be okay with reaching out to net new people. Uh, the only way to be successful is getting comfortable with that activity. Um, I run into people all the time that are like, oh, I don't prospect. I just, just let me know when a lead comes in. I go, well, you're not, you're not really in sales. You're in order taking. Um, I, you know, you've got to actually make the sale, right? You've got to create the sale and you've got to create the opportunity. And if, if that scares you, or if you don't want to do it, or you don't like to do that, or you're, you're uncomfortable talking to strangers and creating that opportunity, because at the end of the day, there's not a lot of cool calling going on. Nobody's picking up the phone. It's emailing and LinkedIn. That's, that's cold calling 2020. It's, it's a professionally written email, or it's a professionally written LinkedIn message that's cold call in 2020. There's no actual picking up the phone because there ain't anybody answering the phone anymore. So you've got to be comfortable with the initial top of the funnel exercise. Because other than that, I mean, there's a whole lot of crap, art and craft that happens throughout the funnel, but you have to keep putting stuff in the top of the funnel to create opportunity to, to, to be successful in sales. And so um, I, I think prospecting and cold cold emailing and getting good at that and understanding the business um, and how to do that well um, is the key is one of the keys to success. And then you learn, you know, the art of negotiation and relationship building and credibility building along the way. Um, and, you know, what I would say to my younger 
22 year old Sal. You should have gotten sales at 22. Same. Um, the, the, that being said, I mean, there was a lot of foundation in my accounting and project management career that probably has helped me. Like I'm, I'm better with the spreadsheet than most salespeople I know. People are like, how did you do this? <laughs> like, what are you doing with the spreadsheet? I'm like, I, I just created a at V lookup, you know, like people are like, <laughs> what are you doing? So, I mean, it built, everything happens for a reason. It's all worked out. I mean, um, and that's the other thing I tell my kids. I'm like, it'll all work out. I've changed careers three times. It'll all work out. Figure out what you want to do. Figure out what makes you happy to do every day. Um, and if you're happy waking up every day doing what you're doing, you'll be successful at it. And your definition of success isn't all about money. It's are you comfortable in the in the job and the life you live? Uh, and can you go home at night happy with what you're doing? And can you pick on your brother and how bad he is and his sales skills every day? I mean, that's what success is all about. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love it. Pick up, pick up a, a couple hobbies along the way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> hobbies would be good. Hobbies would be good. We're <laughs> we're looking for those. I have I have this nice piece of art back on the on the wall. <laughs> A lot of writing this year, but that's that's been one of the hobbies I've gotten into in the last ten years. And um, you know, I I think you know I talked about it before being customer obsessed, and that customer obsession to understand what's important to an executive. You know, I think back to creative ways where I connected with an executive. Um, you know, doing some research, reading about what they were interviewed on. I remember securing a meeting with the CEO of JCPenney through kind of really humble, a humble message about, you know, both of us growing up, not poor, but in, in humble beginnings. Um, it, you know, it, I found a video of him speaking at a church. Mm. I talked about that joint experience and I got a response and I've been trying to get a meeting with this guy. And ultimately that led to a meeting with the head of transformation. But, you know, those are small wins but if you do enough research and you do enough preparation helps. And I think a lot of people tend to be on autopilot where I'm going to send the same message to 100 people and think it's going to work. And that's great for scale, but it just, you just don't get responses. I would rather, instead of saying hundred messages a day, I'd rather send five well-written, concise, well-articulated emails that are on message, have a point of view Right. I understand you're trying to solve this problem. Right. Oftentimes when we hear customers trying to solve this problem, they're dealing with these three challenges. But more importantly, let me tell you about how Capital One did it. Right. And I and my response is, would you like to learn more? Can you talk Tuesday at two o'clock? Right. I think the more time you spend, quality over quantity is important. I think, you know, there's there's different schools of thought on that. And the technology and tools available today and um, some of those we have, some of those we don't. I miss some of the tools I had at Salesforce that I don't have now, but knowing when someone's opened and read an email and forwarded, right, shows consideration, right? Having access to, you know, some of the technology tools like Marketo and seeing what they downloaded, what websites they visited allows you to be on message. Now, I agree cold calling doesn't work. It's very rare you're going to pick up the phone with caller ID, but I have had times in my career where I saw someone downloaded something and then I saw a string of activity on the website. And I used that to call them, right? Because I was on message and I try to call them before eight o'clock and after five, because if they're an executive, 
they're working more than 10 hours a day. Like, let's be honest, because they can't get said, when day. he was calling, it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Why well, had to run down to the pay phone? <laughs> hey, operator, this is a collect call. <laughs> Just a moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it, gents. Uh, by the way, Mike, um, you mentioned, by the way, this is David. You mentioned earlier that in your career, you've been able to take those skills that you've really developed over time and learning how to use them to grow your influence, your speaking base, et cetera. What is the name of your TED Talk so that our audience can look that up and, and really watch it for themselves? Uh, it's, it's what pig farming taught me about business. <laughs> love it. Wow. Love it. Love it. Love it. And you know what I love about it, Mike? It's that title that just catches you. <laughs> now we want to know what it is. You know, we want to know what it's about. It was so, funny a few years ago, it got picked up by the ag community. And I was having a laugh about that. <laughs> so let, let me ask this gentleman, uh, in terms of our listening audience, if they want to find out more about the Merrill brothers outside of LinkedIn, is there anything that they could do to find you? Uh, because I really know for Dan and I, we're going to have a conversation after this and we're going to try to find ways to really bring you guys back into some of the work we're doing right now. Yeah. But what can audiences do to find you if they need to? Yeah, I mean, I'm not as active on social media channels as I used to be. Um, LinkedIn, I'm probably the most active. Um, you know, I, Twitter, I am active. I, I will, I, I break my cardinal rule of Twitter around politics. So be careful there. <laughs> You know, when I first got started in social media, you know, I had a cardinal rule. Don't talk about politics and don't talk about religion because you tend to alienate 50% of your audience. So um, I do get, I do engage on Twitter, but I'm not as active there as I used to, but definitely LinkedIn. And oh, by the way, fellas, LinkedIn stories are here. <laughs> I saw that yesterday. I was like, nice. <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> it looks a lot like Instagram stories to me. It does, yeah, it does. This, this is Steve. Uh, LinkedIn's probably the place I would recommend. I mean, I, I spent, I'm on LinkedIn multiple times a day. I will, I will tell you, I would say a good percentage of my success in, in sales is through LinkedIn. Um, and the ability to use LinkedIn sales navigator and tools like that, uh, as well as, you know, 10 K's and 10 Q's and understanding somebody's business, but understanding someone's background and where they're coming from and using that, you know, to sort of put a pointed message across, uh, it's been super valuable. So LinkedIn is definitely where I'd point people, you know, we don't, we don't have any websites set up yet. We've always joked about our podcast someday, but <laughs> we're like, what, what are we good at? What would we talk about? I used to blog quite a bit. I ended up taking the website down because I just, you know, I ran it. When I went back to the sales, I just didn't have the bandwidth or the time to commit to it, or I didn't commit to it. Um, so I moved all that stuff, you know, when the cost of hosting changed, I moved all that stuff out and point basically MikeMerrill.com to my LinkedIn profile. So. I mean, I, I mean, I'll say I appreciate you guys. I mean, this is our first, my first podcast. I appreciate you guys. And it's always fun as twins. We've always, have you guys ever been to the Twin Fest thing in Ohio? We've talked yeah, about in Ohio. Twinsburg, Ohio. Actually, I live down the road from there. Yeah. Oh, you, have you guys been? Not We've together, never gone right. together. <laughs> Mike and I have talked about trying to go next year because it was our 50th birthday and we had to celebrate it in march in covid oh. on a zoom on a zoom call 
Uh, so we were talking like, well, next year, let's go to the Twins Festival or whatever and, and check that out. You know what, gentlemen, if, you, if God willing, we're able to get a hold of this health pandemic and you guys decide to go, we'll make a trip out of it. We'll do a lot. We'll do a live podcast at Twitter. Yes, let's do it. Let's do, do it. it. Let's That'd do be it. Great. But I want to. I really. Uh, uh, I really want to thank you guys seriously. And this will not be the last time we're going to have you guys on. And matter of fact, Dan and I are working on a project. We'd love to be able to pull you guys in on that as well, That's because good. I do think there's a uniqueness that comes with being a twin, and even greater when you can use that to be able to help other professionals learn more about themselves and then help them to propel their career to greater successes. So along with my co-host, Danny Brown, this is David Brown, and we're really so thrilled to have Mike and Steve Merrill join us today for Pete, Pete and episode of the, <laughs> of the Twins Talking Up podcast. And so we want to thank you guys for joining in with us today. Please subscribe. Consider giving us a five-star rating. We're, we're pretty much on every platform if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash DSB Leadership Speaking and then consider coming on, becoming a, a, a patron supporter, getting a commercial spot and having more access to what we're working on as twin speakers, twin leaders. So I want to thank Mike and Steve again for joining us and we look forward to our next episode with you on the Twins Talking Up podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thank you guys thank so you much. much. Appreciate it. Very grateful. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSB Leadership and visit us online at dsbleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.